Hey there, and welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast. This is episode number 21, our Rutgers review. Notre Dame beats the Scarlet Knights 29-16 in the Pinstripe Bowl to finish their 2013 season with a 9-4 record. Um, this is actually, if anyone saw on Twitter, this was my first game I missed live in about nine years. Dating back, to, I think, about the 2004 season. That was my senior year in college. Um, also came back from a little small vacation in North Carolina. Getting back into the swing of things. On today's podcast, I have with me Paul Rigney. Paul, how you doing? How's it going? Doing all right. Uh, kind of suffering a little bit of cold, but I'm going to be a trooper and get through this today. Uh, we also have another guest, Paul's brother uh, from our OFD site. You know him as Punter Bro. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. All right, so we're going to kind of just do our regular thing today. We're going to run through the the uh, each position unit, uh, talk a little bit what we, we saw during the pinstripe bowl. But first, I want to just swing uh, it back to you guys and give me your uh, overall thoughts on what you thought you saw from Notre Dame in the, the bowl game. I'll start with you, Paul. Uh, well, it, kind of going with what we had been talking about with the previous podcasts about our overall impressions of being in the bowl to begin with, that it was very underwhelming. Uh, the game itself was underwhelming. It was actually almost somewhat painful to watch, if I can say that. Uh, I thought that Notre Dame at times kind of looked lackadaisical. Uh, they were clearly the better team, but they really just wouldn't put Rutgers away. They kind of allowed them to stay into the stay the, into the game uh, late. I thought the field was obviously pretty lousy. If you saw everyone slipping and sliding all over the place and for what the Yankees were kind of promoting about what they did with the field to get it ready for the game, I thought it left a lot to be desired. I also... Uh, had said this during the game, but sort of on an aesthetic level as a TV guy, when you look at the field and you look at the way that the game was filmed, uh, I don't think ESPN could have done it any better, but the field really didn't lend itself to be shot for a noon sunny day football game because you had pockets of the stadium that were really sunny and pockets that were shade. So for a cameraman, it was almost a nightmare to shoot because you had to sort of balance where the players were at any given time and you kind of got lost when the ball would go into the sun or when a player would go into the shade, they would kind of disappear. So it was kind of hard to see just on a visual level. But that being said, Notre Dame won. Uh, there were some bright spots. I thought some players that hadn't really made an impact to this point of the season uh, did make an impact. We'll obviously get to that when we go through the position breakdowns. But you know, it's kind of puts a, a at least a positive note on the end of the season, which was kind of rough. But you know, at nine and four, going into the spring, going into these uh, recruiting games with a with a a big momentum boost, with obviously winning your bowl game, I think it does bode well for the program. So uh, it's it is what it is. It's one of those things where we it looked at me like Brian Kelly was trying to just not lose to Rutgers, and he accomplished that. So. At nine and four, I got really no complaints on that end. Yeah, the field I thought was just completely awful. I actually watched this game on replay yesterday. We're taping this on a Tuesday. Um, I watched it on my computer, and I actually thought that was as bad as I've ever seen, even worse than anything in Notre Dame Stadium. 
excuse me, going back to that Stanford game in 2011, and even mm-hmm. in some ways I thought this game was worse than that. I thought that Stanford game seemed to have a, a few really notable or high-profile slips by some Notre Dame players. In this game, it almost seemed like the players were completely adjusting to the, the terrible conditions. You know, running backs were tiptoeing on the edge. Um, guys were trying to make tackles and just slipping all over the place. Um, I thought that was... You know, that was a pretty piss poor effort. I thought on the on the Yankees, and I think it goes to show when people say, "Well, you know, these baseball stadiums can make really nice grass, uh, natural grass," but you know, it's it's a little bit different when you have these 300 pound football players running around on a on a field like that. So, and even you know, a lot of people were saying it was just the infield that they had to put the grass over, but there was a ton of slipping on the entire field, way into exactly. the outfield as well. Exactly, and I think when you, you, you sort of have to weigh the two where you look at the fact that Notre Dame played in Yankee Stadium a few years ago, and I don't really remember there being any problems with the footing in that game. I actually thought that it was a great venue. It was actually a really good game to watch, not to mention Notre Dame winning, of course, but it had that whole aura of just the appearances, prime time, Yankee Stadium, playing Army. It was this whole spectacle that looked really good in the pinstripe bowl for over, over the weekend was you kind of got this hodgepodge field that clearly the grass didn't take or some some the the field was treated in a way that obviously was kind of a detriment to to the players in addition to that you have this whole like you said element of laying down new sod uh, putting in new grass fixing the field up specifically for the bowl game, I almost have to wonder if they would have been better off just playing on the field as it stood, just re- keeping the, the stadium intact, maybe playing on the dirt. You know, the, the Oakland Raiders for a while at, uh, at, at their stadium have been playing on, on dirt, and for a long time the San Francisco 49ers did. So it, it, it would have actually had, you know maybe some added benefit. I don't know how well outfield grass uh, would have paired with with a football game or how chewed up it would have been, but clearly, like you said, there there were some obvious landscaping issues uh, for the pinstripe bowl game. I think the Dolphins did that for a while, too, when the Marlins were still playing in uh, Sun Life Stadium, a.k.a. whatever they used to call it. Um, I think maybe playing the game six weeks later, however long it was, uh, later than that game against Army in 2010 probably played a part as well. Um, what do you think, PB? What are your, your overall thoughts on the uh, Pinstripe Bowl victory? If you happen to look at the box score and don't look at the final score, you would think that this game was a blowout. Uh, Notre Dame out, we had more first downs, 31-16. to 16. Uh, Total offense was 494-236. to 236. Our running backs averaged four yards a carry. Um, and, I mean, almost 500 yards of total offense. You would think that we would have blown them off the field, and in a way we did. It just it was not highlighted by the final score. Yeah, and this is an interesting point that I was going to make. I'm glad you brought that up already. Um, it seems like, I mean, you could look at this on either side of the fence. You could look at this uh, from the standpoint of, you know, Notre Dame's not playing to their potential, um, this should have been a blowout. It wasn't. But then you look, on the other hand, and you know this doesn't really feel like, for example, the games that Charlie Weiss would play, where, you know, it would be a it would be a 13 point victory, but 
all the stats in the game were, you know, a lot more closer than what Notre Dame did against Rutgers in this game. I mean, 31 first downs to only 16 for Rutgers, and three of Rutgers came uh, via penalty as well. So, um, you know, I think it kind of depends on where you're where you're coming from, what your perspective is. You know, some people can be frustrated that Notre Dame isn't a great team right now, but I think, you know, a lot of the stats in this game really show a lot of potential that can possibly break through in the uh, in the coming years. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. All right, let's get right to the positional breakdowns. Let's start with the quarterback, Tommy Reese. Um, you know, a, a decent day for his standards. Um, he completes 27 passes on 47 pass attempts. Um, I was amazed at how many plays they run. It didn't really feel like they were running that many plays. I know they hogged the ball a lot in the second half. Um, at times it felt like they were throwing the ball a lot, but I didn't think Reese would have 47 passing attempts. Um, he finishes with 319 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He wasn't sacked. Uh, he wasn't pressured much at all. Um, what did you guys think of his overall performance in his last game in a Notre Dame uniform? Well, it... <laughs> It's hard to say. Um, it, it was probably one of the more Tommy Reesian performances that we've seen. Uh, he was going up against a passing secondary that was so bad that Rutgers had to the Rutgers head coach Kyle Flood had to fire his uh, a good chunk of uh, his defensive staff going into the bowl game. He fired his defensive coordinator, so they essentially were running on uh, on new coaches with with a. Uh, a, de a passing defense that had been much maligned and pretty much torched throughout the entire season, yet Rees didn't throw a touchdown pass. However, he did throw for over 300 yards. Now, like you said, 47 passing attempts. That doesn't surprise me, given Rutgers' uh, their, their ranking, their susceptibility to, to, the, pass, uh, to the passing game. But I am. I, I was disappointed. I thought that he managed the game moderately well, but it, it was one of those games where we really didn't put them away until late, uh, and we did so on the ground. We really didn't do anything magical in the air. Uh, he really didn't target big playmakers until late in the game. Uh, I think T.J. Jones getting hurt early didn't help him either. But he did uh, have the. He did, he had like you said the option and the ability to get passes out there. It was just probably a combination of the swirling winds of, uh, of Yankee Stadium as well as simple red zone efficiency. Uh, I'm sure we can get into this, but we have had problems all season, and this, this bowl game was no different about getting into the red zone and settling for field goals that we just couldn't capitalize, couldn't, uh, couldn't get the ball into the end zone, and and the the one time we did in the first half, it was kind of on a misdirection jet sweep with Jones. It wasn't really anything that Reese did. So overall, in the quarterback play, if we're given letter grades, you got to say it's about uh, it's a pretty average C minus performance. But with Reese, it's it's pretty much typical. It's it's what we've been expecting from him all season, and and it it was really no different over the weekend. I would agree with that. I thought. You know, he had some moments where he was throwing the ball pretty well. Um, I thought that one pass to Will Fuller uh, would have been a huge uh, momentum swing that Fuller looked like he had it, but then he dropped it when he hit the ground. I'm not sure if Notre Dame actually scored a touchdown on that drive or not. Um, but uh, I thought that was a nice pass from Reese. Um, but other than that, you know, 20 incompletions, I 
would venture to say maybe 10 or 12 of those were pretty, you know, ugly passes. I know a lot of people have become defensive in, uh, when looking at Tommy's play, but, you know, it's a senior quarterback in his last game, and, you know, this is a really poor uh, secondary for Rutgers, and, you know, air mailing seven, eight passes like that just wasn't, you know, doesn't really warrant that high of a grade. What do you think, PB? Do you agree with uh, with your brother on that assessment? I'd actually uh, somewhat dis- uh, pulling up the law thing. I agree in part and disagree in part. I agree that uh, Tommy. It was probably a very typical um, Tommy Reese performance, uh, and that goes to if you're watching the the game, the replay, or if you watched it live, you have you couldn't miss the multiple times that Tommy had wide open receivers and just missed them. And yes, he did have like the, the dumb throws. There's one that I remember where he was throwing across field into the corner. It was a jump ball. And I think DeVaris Daniel was pretty much played defense on it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, he, he had no turnovers. He threw for over 300 yards and he, he had a over 50% completion percentage and he really put us in a position to win the game. Um, he didn't capitalize as probably we would like him to, but I overall I I, I it was the uh, performance from Tommy that I expected. All right, that's fair enough. Now let's go to the rushing game. Uh, the Irish rack up 175 yards. That's the second most Rutgers gave up all season. Uh, the Scarlet Knights came into the game with a really stout run defense. Uh, Notre Dame also scores two touchdowns, one from Folston and T.J. Jones, who got. Four carries on the on the game. I think that's probably a season high for him in rushing attempts. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, McDaniel, Folston basically split the carries in terms of production from the running backs. They both carried the ball 17 times. Um, I would just throw probably a, a B a B plus grade out there. I thought they ran pretty hard. Um, the field didn't do them any favors, um, and I think that kind of hurt them more than the defense. What do you think, Paul? Oh, I'll I'll grab this one. Um, I, I I agree. I think the uh, the field uh, probably played uh, a big part into limiting our production on the ground. But still, our we had two running backs, 17 carries apiece uh, with Cam and uh, Torian Folston. Uh, Cam had 80 yards net on the ground, and Torian had 73 on the ground. Both of them averaging over four yards a carry. That's fantastic, especially considering how well ranked Rutgers' run defense was and with how terrible the field was. But I, I do think that our production probably would have been better on a better field. Um, and there were multiple plays where you saw Torian, uh, the, the running plays outside the box, uh, outside the tackles specifically, where you saw Torian, uh, Torian for example, where he, you could tell that he just wasn't trusting the traction and so he was going slower than he probably normally would. Um, but overall, I, I think that it, it was a very solid performance from the the run team. I'm I'm inclined to agree. Uh, I I've got nothing bad to say about that. What I will say also, uh, it really was a tale of two halves. Uh, if you were to look at the halftime statistics, you would be pretty much mortified. Uh, both Folston and McDaniel were averaging in the two yards per carry range. It was pretty ugly. Um, it, the the defense or the offensive line was getting no push on Rutgers' defense, but 
like PB said, going into the second half, you really saw a push. Now, I don't know if it was something that Kelly said at halftime or if there was uh, some adjustments that, that were at play here, but this running game looked really, really good, especially in the second half. Um, the field uh, really goes without any 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 more mentioning than than can already be said and i agree completely with uh with my bro on that the there was not just even on the the running game we there were a lot of defenders that kind of looked really unsure of their footing and when we get into special teams pb will basically be able to opine and go off a lot more but i was very impressed with fulston let let's also mention here that he, he was starting because Atkinson had been suspended. Uh, we, we hadn't really broached that subject yet, but George Atkinson III, for those of you who, who, who Notre Dame fans who had been basically hiding under a rock to this point, had been suspended for the pinstripe bowl, uh, depending on whether or not you're going to believe his, his, his tweet regarding why, uh, is entirely up to you and entirely up to, to everyone for their opinions on the matter, but regardless, he was not playing, uh, so it was up to a true freshman who really stepped up. I thought he played very, very well, especially when he was able to get his folding, his footing, get out into the open field. Uh, did a really good job in that regard. Um, I also think that uh, McDaniel was as advertised. I thought he played very well, uh, and he's that type of guy that you really bring into a game to close out. Uh, closeout games, and for his power running ability, Fulson's fearlessness, I, I I really was impressed with our running game. I think it's it bodes well going forward because both of these guys are coming back. They're both going to contribute, and it's going to be a strong, a strong, strong running, running team, especially going into the spring, going into next season. We're absolutely loaded at that position. And you know, just I, jumping in real quick, Eric, uh, another play that just uh, to highlight the the terrible quality of the field. Was the uh, the handoff on the goal line to T.J. Jones on the option play where Nicholas ended up getting the personal foul penalty? That penalty wouldn't have happened if it was a better field because T.J. would have scored. So uh, that that was lost points right there. Not only did we lose points, we lost 15 yards. So just wanted to throw that out there. Good point. Yeah, I don't know how I feel, felt about those two personal fouls. I mean. Two have gotten the face of that one guy. Um, who knows what he said, but I thought that was kind of ticky-tacky. I guess they called Nicholas for, for blocking too long or blocking outside of the, the boundary. I don't know. Yeah, he carried his guy out of bounds on what looked like a stock block. But, you know, even going with that, at, at the risk of sounding elitist, and I apologize if I do, you have to understand that we had Mac referees. And Mac referees, <laughs> especially with a, a big marquee game like that, are, are going to want to try and prove themselves. So, it, like you said, it was really ticky-tack. I'm not entirely sure, like you said, also what the guy said to Tua. It obviously set him off. He was not happy about it. Uh, but with Nicholas's penalty, I'm not entirely sure you're going to get that call uh, from from any other officiating crew. Maybe you do, but like my brother said, TJ Jones keeps his footing there. The the field's not at, not in the condition it's in. He scores a touchdown, and at worst, you know Kyle Brins is kicking 15 yards back on the kickoff. But it doesn't matter because we've got seven points on the board. Yeah, and going back to the rushing game for a second, you know what I thought was awesome was that there were seven ball carriers. That's pretty awesome. That's almost a, a whole statistic right there. And that even includes 
Tommy Reese making a, a five-yard rush, and he also had a, a quarterback sneak. Um, it will be interesting to see if this type of diversity will continue to next year. You think with the running backs coming back, it's probably going to still be you know, two or three guys carrying the ball um, quite a lot. But, uh, you know, guys like Fuller and Daniels also got the ball under the hands. And, of course, T.J. Jones did. Um, obviously, he's graduating, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how diverse the uh, rushing game will be next year. That'll be uh, something that we'll keep an eye on. All right, let's head to the, the, the wide receivers. Uh, T.J. Jones, Chris Brown lead the team with five receptions each. Try Nicholas with four. Um, you know, we kind of already talked about the running backs, but I thought it was pretty interesting to see Cam, McDaniel, and Folston each get three catches as well. They were kind of a big part of the passing game, um, which is something we haven't seen um, mostly for 2013. We've seen it a little bit um, prior to the season, but definitely not this year. What do you guys think of the receivers in this uh, pinstripe bowl? I sort of prefaced the uh, podcast with this, but I was, and I also mentioned it in my instant reaction piece, that I was very impressed with guys that stepped up uh, in, in this game. I would have liked to see Corey Robinson get more than the one catch he did, but on the flip side, you've got Chris Brown with five catches, tied tied the team high for the game uh, with TJ Jones. I thought that was great, because you're talking about a guy coming into the season, or coming into that game, where on the season he only had ten grabs, Yes, he had a touchdown, didn't score in this game, but being able to catch five balls uh, in a bowl game, when we had talked about him the previous podcast about whether or not there would even be a place for him with how deep we are at receiver going into the spring, I thought it boded well, bode well, very well for him. Uh, Nicholas, four catches, 76 yards. I think all of them were in the second half, so I liked that. He was able to get into space. I was kind of wondering why Kelly wasn't throwing across the middle more in the first half. Uh, he obviously, in the second half, Reeves was not afraid to throw the, the seam and post routes to, to to Nicholas, which was nice. Like you said, I'm, I'm happy that we're finally getting that swing pass. I, I think it's funny how we it's taken four years of, of Tommy Reeves throwing behind receivers, behind the running backs, uh, and, and the running backs dropping it out of the backfield that finally, in his last game, we've got a running back that not only catches it, but is able to do something with it. So, uh, it, it my only disappointment really uh, f with the receiving core is DeVaris Daniels. Only three catches. Uh, he, a lot of times, was playing more defense than offense uh, with some of the passes that Reese was slinging his way. But I, I was hoping that he would be able to get into the end zone. I sort of viewed Rutgers' passing defense sort of along the same lines as Air Force and and Temple, that he'd be able to exploit their safeties, be able to, to get deep, and we were never really able to capitalize on that. All in all, though, a pretty positive performance, all facts considering. Now, I I saw a lot of the, uh, the stuff on Daniels before I actually watched the game, so I, that kind of colored my view while watching it. Um, I thought, I think there was a pass where Reese was pressured a little bit. He threw off his back foot to Daniels on a crossing route. It was a slightly behind him. And Reese threw it pretty hard. I thought Daniels could have had that one. It kind of reminded me of a, I can't think of the game from last season where it caused an interception. He, he kind of didn't see it, and it bounced off of him. It was picked off. I want to say that was the BYU game. Um, and then there was one in the end zone, which I, I think, 
I would put a little bit of blame on Reese. I thought that ball should have been released a little bit earlier. Um, I thought Daniels was open in the middle of the end zone, and instead he had to try to make a, a play in the very back of the end zone. The ball went right through his hands, but um, I think that's definitely a play that should have been a catch while at the same time being a tough catch. So, uh, you know, what I liked about this game, and, and you brought up Chris Brown, uh, you know, we've always been talking about him being a, a deep threat. I like that he only had a long of 13 in this game. So all of his catches were tough. You know, I don't know, I, I don't know off, the, off the top of my head how many first downs he had. It seemed like maybe three or four of his five catches were for first downs. Um, and I think that's the, the part of his game that he has to develop is, you know, being a nice possession receiver. Um, and I think if he can develop that part of his game, he's going to be someone who's going to be the number two receiver next year, definitely in the mix in that top two or three. What'd you think, Pebro? What What'd you think of the receivers in this game? You guys pretty much stole my lines. Uh, I thought this was a great a great example of the next man in. Uh, this game was uh, for Chris Brown. I thought he had an absolutely fantastic game for not really having a lot of production on the season because um, we've seen most of the passes go to either T.J. Jones, uh, Troy Nicholas, or. Uh, DeVarce Daniels, but I mean, Brown stepped in five catches for 54 yards, and I, I thought he played absolutely fantastic. And not to uh, pile on the uh, DeVarce Daniels thing, but uh, there I was going to highlight the the ball in the end zone that went right through his hands. And I mean, that's that's a routine catch that players practice in practice. That that it's the over the shoulder. You, placement in the corner of the end zone um, and I think if he'd have caught it we'd have been saying well that was a, a fantastic catch almost it was would have been reminiscent of the uh, Reba McKnight touchdown catch in 2006 against Michigan State uh, where Brady Quinn just placed it perfectly in the corner of the end zone but unfortunately it went right through his hands and that wasn't the only pass that he missed all game so I, I don't know if it was a lack of focus or what but he, he did have some mistakes but overall I, I thought the team played fantastic, uh, and Troy Nicholas, I mean, th I really hope this guy comes back because he's just an absolute monster at tight end. Yeah, let's get into the tight ends, and we're not going to steal your thunder on this one, PB. Um, Koyak ended up with one catch for 13 yards. I think he had another target that was uh, broken up by the Rutgers player. Um, you already brought up Troy Nicholas. He had a strong game. I'll throw this question out to you. Um, and I know the guys on Irish Illustrated were talking about this on their most recent podcast. Um, do you think Troy Nicholas is a captain next year? If he comes back, he absolutely should be. Um, he he is the kind of guy who not only is a great player, but he shows it on the field on Saturdays. And he was our leading receiver on Saturday. He had the longest reception for 28 yards on Saturday, and I'm pretty sure that that was the one where he was bowling over the safeties and just carrying guys reminiscent of the Irv Smith catch against Indiana. So I, I think if you if you want to pick a guy that leads by example, I absolutely would name Troy Nicholas a captain. Yeah, my guess right now is it's going to be uh, Nicholas McDaniel and uh, I'm blanking on his name, Jarrett Grace. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yes or no? Are those the three captains? Maybe uh, my 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 X factor there obviously not a not a senior but I maybe somebody like Kivari Russell 
may also get get in the mix for a captain. But if we're uh, on, if we're looking at seniors, yeah, I'm I'm inclined to. I'm actually really okay with that that crop as uh, captains for next season. Like uh, my bro said, I really hope this guy comes back. He had a great game, uh, and it's not just in the pass-catching game, it's really in the blocking game. I don't really fault him for the long stock block out of bounds that he got a 15-yard flag for. That just, to me, shows tenacity. It shows that he's 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 willing to, to work to get into the play, to, to do what is what needs to be done to to accomplish that. And it's, it goes to say that this guy was on the defensive side of the ball, and now he's going to be one of the premier tight ends. If he comes back next year, he's definitely definitely going to be on the preseason watch list. He may end up joining Eifert and the long line of Notre Dame tight ends to, to be award winners. And this is a guy who, like PB said, leads by example. And this is a guy that, that you want to represent your football team because of how he plays, because of how he carries himself. So it, it, is, going to be, uh, it is going to be interesting to see. All right, let's talk about the offensive line. Uh, left tackle Zach Martin made his last start. Um, I think I think it was like his 142nd straight start. I don't know if I had that right. Um, Connor Hannard, he got the start at left guard. Matt Haggerty at center. Steve Elm at right guard. And Ronnie Stanley at right tackle. Um, kind of another shuffled lineup, which has been pretty common for the team here in the past last third of the 2013 season. Um before I, I send it to you guys, I just want to throw this out there, um, and I think this is kind of a conspiracy theory, but uh, I think ESPN went into this game thinking it was giving the MVP to Zach Martin. Uh, I say that because they were really talking about him a lot during the game, and, and not that he was undeserving at all, um, but uh, I just thought that it was pretty uh, interesting that he got the MVP, and then I was actually looking at our uh, our photos that we get on our SB Nation site, and uh, there's a lot of pictures taken of him in there. It's kind of strange to see a offensive lineman have so many pictures taken of him, but that's just my conspiracy theory. Um, what do you guys think of the offensive line in this game? Um, obviously, they're great at pass protection once again, and a pretty good day uh, running the ball. Yeah, I mean, we had no sacks and only six tackles for a loss on 90 plays, so... What, what more can you ask of your team? Um, what more can you ask of your offensive tackles for a loss on 43 runs and 47 passes? That's that's absolutely an outstanding performance, in my opinion. I, sort of the, to go along with that, Reese was only hurried two times throughout the entire game. Uh, neither of which were uh, detriment to the team. They they resulted in in uh, in points, so it, it's not that big of a negative. I am inclined to agree with you slightly about the conspiracy theory, but it sort of is what ESPN does. They sort of will pick a player to watch, and I think what they decided to do, and what they do with a lot of these games, is they will look at. Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper, whoever's draft books, and they'll go, oh, here's the list of guys we can promote. And you look at Notre Dame's roster, especially the senior class, 
who do you promote? Do you promote to it? Well, you can't promote Lewis Nix because Lewis Nix isn't there. Do you promote to it? Well, to it may not be coming out. To it, obviously, you know, th there's a lot of unknowns about his, his status. Zach Martin, you know he's going to the NFL. You know he's getting drafted. You know there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be a, a future for him in the league. And when you look at some of the other positions, a lot of them are at youth, a lot of them are young. So you're not entirely sure. So going along those lines, I am inclined to agree that we've got uh, a, a, an agenda, at the very least, by, by ESPN to, to promote specific players. And obviously, Martin was the one that they had picked. PB, do you feel like Brinza was snubbed for the MVP? I think Brinza deserved the... Uh, I'll say this politically. I, I think Brinza <laughs> deserved the MVP as much as Zach Martin deserved the MVP. How, how's that? All right, that's a nice uh, middle-of-the-road statement. Um, let's go to the defensive line. Uh, Sheldon Day, Tuit, and Schwenke get the start. Um, overall, pretty good play from the guy, from all the guys. What you, would you guys think? Yeah, uh, it, it, I was a little worried early on about um, Dodd's ability to, to get out into space that we weren't wrapping up entirely. We obviously shored that up as the game went along. Defensively, I thought they played well. I mean, a lot of our listeners kind of rag on me about this, but using my phrase here, if you look at the stats... Our D-line is part of a, a defensive group that held Rutgers to only 236 yards, uh, 80 yards rushing, only 156 <coughs> yards passing. They forced four turnovers. You're, you're, you're talking about a group that did what they needed to do to win the game. And when you look at just the, the simple participation chart for, for, for tackles and, and tackles for a loss, we had a lot of tackles for a loss. Uh, Again, four picks. Uh, let me just counting off the top of my head here. Looks like we've got three or four sacks, uh, three or four tackles for a loss. So all in all, it's a very strong performance by the defensive line. And you look at the ones that were there, to it, one and a half tackles for a loss and also a sack and a half. Uh, he initially had two sacks. They obviously adjusted it um, from the post-game notes that I had. But Jaron Jer Jones, uh, one tackle for a loss, also had a sack. Day in there with halfs, uh, a half tackle for a loss and a half sack. So and, and Kona, of course, uh, with, with a great performance, also had a sack, had a half a sack and a half a tackle for a loss. So these guys were obviously in there doing what they needed to do to 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 win the ball game. And I was very impressed with the way they played, especially in the second half. Now I have a bit of a, a trivia question here. I don't know if you've looked at this recently or, or not. How, how many fewer sacks would you do you think that Stefan Tua had this year in comparison to 2012? That's a good question. I have no idea. I bet he had more, actually. He had three and a half less. He had 11 uh, two years ago, and he ended up with seven and a half um, this season. That does kind of interesting. 
I, I think w- also with Tuit is he kind of displayed a little bit of immaturity early on in the game. Obviously, with the 15-yard penalty, it kind of may raise the eyebrows a little bit of some NFL scouts. But he played angry in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. He was blowing up uh, the gaps that he was going through. He was almost in on every play on Dodd. They were never really able to do anything outside of him scrambling and the occasional decent run uh, by James. So it, it, it's a very good performance by him. I was very impressed with him, with the way he played in the second half. All right, anything to say about the linebackers? Uh, Calabrese led the team with seven tackles. Uh, Jalen Smith, I thought, played really well. Um, Dan Fox had some nice things. Uh, broke up a pass at interception. Is there anything else to say about the, the guys in the middle? None more than I think we've that's been already been said. I don't think Rutgers really attacked the the our linebackers the way that other teams have, which kind of surprised me. Uh, yes, their uh, running backs were able to to break off some runs in space, uh, especially Paul James. He did have a 13-yard run. Dot himself uh, when he was scrambling was able to get out in space because Shembo and 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 a couple other uh, players, I think one of them was Fox at one point, w- weren't able to wrap him up. Uh, I think the field may have had something to do with that, and these guys were losing their footing. But all in all, pretty solid performance. Uh, it, it's, it was kind of a, a good game to see what happens when a team plays you and doesn't really test uh, your, your linebacking core. The Dodd and the Rutgers offense seem to be geared at getting the ball to Coleman, they were really trying to test Bennett Jackson throughout the entire game, which, as we're, we're going to segue, I guess, to the, to the D-backs, uh, sort of shows the kind of player that Kivari Russell's going to be. Anything to add on the linebackers, PB? Uh, I think that they were exposed a little bit, uh, especially with the uh, scrambles by uh, Chase Dodd. Is it Chase Dodd? Uh, I think that they were exposed a little bit um, because and on multiple of those you saw Prince Shembo just absolutely over-pursuing and taking terrible angles. Um, but, you know, we said about the next man in, I mean, Kendall Moore had an interception and he's not a regular player or hasn't been a regular player on defense this entire season. And if you look at the what uh, Paul said, you know, you look at the stats, uh we had four sacks in the game, and our defensive lineman uh, accounted for three and a half of them. So I, I, I think that uh, defensively, it, I mean, look at the stats. 236 yards of total offense from Rutgers, and they ran about le- almost half as many plays as we did. So I, I'm, I was very pleased. All right, let's talk about those DBs. Uh, Bennett Jackson, I thought, had an up-and-down game. Uh, got picked out a couple times in the passing game. Uh, he did make really one nice, really run, really nice tackle. Excuse me. Uh, he had a tackle for loss, um, and I, he was pretty much uh, a reason why Kendall Moore intercepted a pass. Uh, Bennett basically broke that that pass up, got, got in on the receiver nice and quickly, jammed him up. Ball popped up in the air. Uh, Kendall Moore picked it off. Uh, Paul, you already brought up Kavai Russell. He had a really strong game. Um, it seemed like the safeties played pretty well. Which, did you guys think that uh, the safeties did all right? I mean, looked like they had a four-man rotation. Um, 
I don't think Farley played all that much, which is pretty interesting. Um, I think that opens up some interesting discussions as we head into the offseason. But all in all, uh, we saw some good things from the safeties. Uh, Max Bradfield got his first career start, and I thought he, he played pretty well. Saw him coming down on to stop the run a couple times. He was only credited with one tackle. I swear he had probably three, but who knows what's going on with these stats. What would you guys think about the DBs? I'll take this one. I like I said with with. I think that the the DBs played a fantastic game. Oh, okay, go ahead. Well, I think Russell played very well. I think that when when you see the fact that the adjust, <laughs> you're talking about a senior captain who's guarding Coleman, who's uh, the receiver for Rutgers, who's declared for the NFL, uh, probably will be drafted in some capacity. I don't I don't know. He did have some health issues, so we'll see how where teams take him, but. It, when you got a guy like Jackson who's a senior captain on their best receiver and your adjustment is to put the young guy on him and he does a great job, I think it, it it's sort of reflective on the future of our defensive backfield. Like you said, I thought I could have sworn Max Redfield had more tackles than one. And when you look at the sheet and you see one tackle, you kind of go, huh, that he had the same amount of tackles as Jesse Bonchiovi. It kind of really surprises you. Um, so when you go into the other players in the positions it's very hard to glean because Rutgers really never tested them deep outside of the the one long pass to Coleman that Jackson obviously got beat on uh, which was unfortunate and I, I think a lot of people are knocking him for the fade pass for the touchdown if you look at some of the the pictures that some of the still photographers had taken, and you kind of I, I watched it again the first time I saw it when I was the game was what is what is Jackson doing? And then when you watch the replay, you go, wow, that was actually a really good pass that he actually had uh, you know pretty good coverage on him. He just threw it right over his shoulder in the only place Coleman could get it. So it, it's it's a it's a very incomplete grade when you look at the defensive backfield because like with the linebacking core, there really wasn't any huge play outside of that 51-yard, the 54-yard pass, 51-yard pass or whatever that that we really saw our, our secondary tested. And when you look at the breakups that they had, you look at Kivari Russell, three breakup passes, and uh, Andy had the pick. Uh, so you, you've got a guy that is going to be the cornerstone of your defensive secondary going into the spring. He's a leader, uh, along with Jalen Smith on the outside. I, I'm, I'm really liking what our secondary is going to look like uh, next fall going into the spring. And I thought that they, 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 let's put it this way, they didn't play necessarily well in the pinstripe bowl. I thought they played decent, not great, but... Uh, but they certainly didn't play poorly by any stretch of the imagination, which was very surprising because this is a safety core, a defensive secondary that's been maligned not just by us all year for taking poor angles, just bad tackling, and they really stepped it up. You know, I, I even Austin Collinsworth himself, yeah, he had the, the interception at the end, which was the Hill Mary. I kind of dismissed that. But he had a couple breakups, and there were a couple times where he really disrupted plays on, on safety blitzes. I'm not entirely sure if it was Cooks calling the blitz packages, but he did a really good job at timing them and, and really disrupting any type of momentum that Rutgers was trying to build. So 
all in all, it, it, it was a pretty decent performance by the defensive secondary. Probably the best they may have had all year. Uh, and, and certainly a, a good stepping stone going into the spring. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that uh, Cole Luke and Devin and I Parker think that that was bolstered. Go ahead, Pat. I was just going to add, I, I think that the secondary play was bolstered by the strength of our front seven. Uh, they accounted for four sacks, uh, they forced three turnovers, and uh, Dodd was only 10 of 29 on the game. So you're talking about a quarterback who really wasn't that accurate. Uh, the field was a factor, I think, probably with quarterback footing. And he had Notre Dame players in the backfield all game. So I, I think that it was the best possible situation for our defensive backfield to face because they were facing a quarterback who really didn't have a lot of time to throw. And it, if you look at the, the stat sheet, they had 156 yards passing. A third of that came on one play. So I think that it was a fantastic game from the, the defensive backfield, especially considering that they had... Uh, two picks. I know Paul said that Collinsworth was at the end of the game, but you know it's on the stat sheet, so I count it. <laughs> yeah, and I was gonna say I thought it was interesting that uh, Cole Luke and Devin Butler didn't play a whole lot in this game, uh, and I, as I already mentioned, uh, Matthias Farley didn't play hardly at all at safety. They went with Redfield, Collinsworth, Hardy, and Shoemate, kind of a four-man rotation there. Uh, I don't know what it means without Jacko. Who knows if that means. Uh, you know, the coaching staff will not favor Farley as much next year. Um, we'll just have to wait and see how everything pans out with the new defensive coordinator. You know that ESPN had also mentioned that Kelly himself and, and other players or coaches had been suffering from the flu. I think it, obviously we'll never really know, but I think it may be interesting if some of these players that we didn't see that we were expecting to see, so maybe somebody like Farley, if these guys weren't ailing, and, and that's why we saw the the players on the field that we did. Yeah, that's a good point, and i also point out, I think Kelly said after the game that he kind of made the decision that to put Redfield as a starter. He said he wanted to see him a little bit more. Um, who knows if that would have been a decision that was made if Jocko was still here, but uh, I think that's more stuff for the offseason that we'll, we'll talk about. Um, all right, we're going to wrap it up with some special teams talk. PB, this is your thing. Uh, I don't want you to spoil everything right now as you're doing your review from the, the uh, Pinstripe Bowl, but uh, just give me your overall thoughts on what you saw. Um, I know most people have been banging their head against the wall uh, on what we saw over the weekend with the special teams. What went wrong? What went right? Well, one of the things that went right was Kyle Brinza. And when we were talking earlier about who should be captains next season, I, I personally, uh, and I admittedly am biased towards special teams, but I would absolutely put Kyle Brinza at the top of the list for someone who uh, should be named a captain. I mean, in this game, he single-handedly outscored Rutgers. So it, Kyle Brinza had 17 points and Rutgers had 16. Um and uh, I want first all. I also want to apologize to the listen or to the listeners and to the readers of the website um, because my computer died, so I wasn't able to get a uh, a preview up. But I did have drafts written, and one of the things I had mentioned beforehand was uh, Janarian Grant, uh, the main Rutgers return man, 
And Janarian Grant on the season coming into the game had 18 returns for 390 yards, a 21.7 average, but he had returned a kickoff for 100 yards for a touchdown against Fresno State in their first game. So this was a dynamic return man, probably the most dynamic virus we're going to see next to Ty Montgomery from uh, Stanford. And he certainly dis- didn't disappoint in this game. Grant had three returns. They were for 32, 51, and 44. Now, if a, if a kick returner is going to get over 25 yards on a return, something went wrong. If he's getting over 30 yards, something went really wrong. And if he gets over 50, there was a catastrophic failure somewhere. And I, I think that this game more or less highlighted the problems with the, the Notre Dame special teams when it came to kickoff coverage on the season. Now, do you think this is, this is a coaching problem? Um it seems like everyone is throwing their hat in that ring, um, whether it be guys keeping their lanes, um, not putting it in the effort. Um, a lot of that stuff would seem to go on the coaching. Would you agree? And do you do you think Brian Kelly should hire a new special teams coach? Personally, I don't think it's necessarily uh, a requirement that there needs to be a dedicated special teams coach. I, I think that a special teams coach can share responsibilities like uh, like Booker did this year with tight ends. I, I think that that's, that's more than reasonable. But the problems that you're seeing, are they're just straight fundamentals. It's failure to tackle or, or failure to maintain a lane. And, and those aren't really things that you need to teach. They, they should be ingrained in these players. And it, it should be understood that when you're on kickoff coverage you have a lane and you have a responsibility to that lane and you don't leave that lane unless something went wrong and you watching the replays you'll see guys just two guys in the same lane or there will be one part of the field that's completely open or outside contain isn't maintained and you're left with Kyle Brin and the Walsh making tackles where they shouldn't even be involved in, in the play at all. So I, I, I have a hard time saying specifically that coaching is the problem. I, I think it's a mix between fundamentals and coaching. Sort of segueing al- along that, the question I want to have for you also, um, I'm not going to opine on any of this because I de- defer uh, to, to the expert here. I wanted to somewhat change the subject over to the returns. Obviously, with Atkinson out, we saw Amir Carlisle back there. I'm interested in what you thought uh, on our on our returns. Obviously, with the punt return, we did have the, the botch and, and the fumble and everything. I'm not entirely sure if weather in the field had something to do with that. But what are your overall thoughts on, on the return game with Carlisle back there? Do you think he... Would you put him as the starter above Atkinson for next season? Uh, has he shown you enough? And, and for the punt game, especially the punt return game, uh, what are your thoughts on, on that moving forward? Well, you kind of stole my thunder. I was going to say, you know, we were talking about that this was a breakout game for certain players who really didn't see the field that much this season, like with Chris Brown and, and the wide receiver core. And I think if there's no better example for... Uh, a breakout game, at least when it came to special teams, than Amir Carlisle. Amir had three returns uh, for 81 total yards it's, uh, and a long of 35. That was the best average, the, the average kickoff return. Uh, that, that was the best 
below Air Force. The best game uh, an individual uh, return man had this season was against Michigan, uh, where George averaged 38. Um, and then next was Air Force. So you're talking about two of the... I mean, Michigan was arguably the worst special teams that Notre Dame faced all season. And Air Force, I think, was just physically incapable of performing at a high level. And this was our best performance uh, next to that, and you had guys playing who really didn't play that much, uh, like Amir. And I absolutely, he, he proved to me in this game that he's willing to get the ball, that he's willing to hit top gear immediately, that he doesn't really care if he gets hit. He understands that he's going to get hit, and he almost welcomes it. So I absolutely would have Amir as my starting uh, kick returner going forward. Yeah, I really liked what I saw at a Carlisle. Um... You know, as a running back, I think he's almost too physical at times. It's almost like he wants to show the coaching staff that he can run tough. Um, but I liked how he, like you said, he, he gets the ball and he gets the top speed immediately. Um, you know, he took a, I know he took one pretty good hit, but uh, that's something you want to see out of your return man. You want to see him be able to, to show some bravery and uh, to know that if that hole do, does open up or if a guy misses a tackle that he's off for the races, and I don't think... Even with Atkinson's speed, um, I don't think he really uh, ran like that most of the time. And uh, Not to inject too much rumor into this, but who knows if Atkinson's even going to be with the team next year. Um, we'll see how that all pans out. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was on Jones's punt return, the one he fumbled, it looked like the, the sun and the shadow might have played a part in that. Um, even watching the replay back a few times, uh, it was hard to see the ball on television, it looked like he kind of misjudged it at the last second, and it looked like he reached back, I believe, to his back right to catch it. So he, it definitely wasn't uh, a normal um, catching routine for him. So I, I think maybe that got caught up in the in the sun or caught up in the shade, and then came back down into the sun. Um, so that kind of would explain the uh, the fumble on on Jones's part. All right, guys, we've gone through all the positional units. Uh, the season's over. Notre Dame's 9-4. Uh, anything else you want to say before we get out of here and finish this 21st episode of the OFD podcast? Just want to thank everyone for listening, reading the site. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, any comments, complaints, concerns, welcome. Uh, hope everyone has a great new year, and we'll see you in 2014. PB, how's your first podcast going? I went great. Uh, the only thing I actually forgot to mention um, was we were 100% in the red zone this game. We had two touchdowns and three field goals on, on five chances. Uh, but the field goals, if you look at it, they were for 21, 25, and 26 yards. And those are, those are yard lines that we need to score touchdowns from. We cannot settle for field goals in situations like that. And then uh, the only other thing I, I was going to mention on that was Brinza did have a miss this game, but if you uh, were watching the game, th it was evident that there was a wind. The box score even indicates that there was a 13-mile-an-hour wind, and if you watch baseball, I know that there's been uh, some talk about the, the wind factor at Yankee Stadium uh, with regards to home runs. So I, I think that you can't really put a lot of blame on Kyle for missing uh, that field goal, and he was... Five for six. So, I mean, that that was an absolutely fantastic uh, 
expected performance from Kyle. But as for uh, being on the podcast, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for uh, reading the website, and uh, uh, look forward to hearing from you all on the website. All right, that's going to wrap up the 21st episode of our podcast. Uh, we should get this up um, relatively quickly this week. Uh, we might have a podcast uh, within less than a week after this one, our 22nd episode. Uh, that'll be more of an overall review of the season and a look towards 2014. I'm Eric, that's Paul, and PB Punch-A-Bro. Uh, we are out of here, and we'll see you later.